I took a big wow. risk. Like I had no idea what I was getting myself into. My first yeah. day, they handed me a Mac. Mind you, as an auditor, I used a PC yeah. and Excel a lot. They handed me a Mac and said, here you go. There's no training. That's it. That was it. Yeah. Welcome back to The Real Slim Fady Show. I am your host, Fady Huatma, and I am blessed and honored to have my guest, Eileen from Glean, join us. How are you doing, Eileen? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me on, Fady. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited about this conversation. We've known each other for a little bit, and every single time we talk, we just like each other even more and realize we really are cut from the same cloth, so I'm excited to get into stuff. Same. So I'd love to hit it right from the jump. Tell me a little bit about where you've been, what you've been doing, and really where your passion lies and, and what, what drives you. Sure, man, that's a little bit of a timeline, but I will try <laughs> to shorten it as much as possible. So I started my career in public accounting. My first six years were at Ernst & Young as an auditor. Probably unlike most, I really love being an auditor, and I also knew I was okay with the environment of the big four, which I know is very controversial, especially now in kind of today's climate environment around work-life balance. But it taught me a lot of skill sets that's really kind of shown through in all my positions later on. And not to say that every day was peachy there. I have stories, yeah. but I left public accounting because I had to make a personal decision. Being a single mom, I'm very open about that that I chose to leave the firm because I couldn't work those 70, 80 hour work weeks anymore. And I joined my very first startup, was one of the founding team members of Zero Americas. And never did I imagine I would end up in tech. <laughs> I thought for <laughs> sure I would have kept like, I would have climbed to either be a partner or be a CFO somewhere. But I found myself in tech and I actually end up leading and growing the consulting team at Zero, which is still there to this day. I left and then went back into a tax-focused firm to help take their proprietary product to market, went to another VC back bookkeeping company. And as much as I liked working for firms, I really missed the technology and talking to accounting firms together. So went back on the tech side and been helping various tech companies build their accounting channel very early stages. And now at Glean doing the same thing, putting up the accounting channel as well as leading partnerships. But what I love about it is that we're kind of going up against an incumbent again. And I guess I'm just like a glen for punishment around challenges. Yeah. <laughs> so the passions, challenges, solving problems. Yeah. And building teams, like I love building and growing teams and like that rapid growth phase that you, like I don't like to be bored. So maybe that's why I like yeah. those things. No, I love that. I mean, it's super rare to have someone who is at a big four firm, is an accountant and then goes into tech. We're seeing that happen a lot more often now, especially with, like you said, the controversial quote unquote culture that is always at the big four and it's just kind of an accepted thing nowadays, which is super unfortunate. But when you looked at, zero and that opportunity came up like what was the one thing the one piece that you were like i'm going to completely drop this super comfortable path of the big four traditional accounting and i'm going into this new zealand or australia based accounting technology company that's trying to take down the biggest 
dog in this industry and QuickBooks Online. That's exactly it. So New Zealand based, to be honest, when the recruiter showed me this opportunity, I only took it because I hadn't interviewed since I was a sophomore in college and I thought it was a good way to practice Mm -hmm. and didn't think anything was going to come out of it. I was kind of a shoe in at Clorox to be a financial analyst there. And then I met every single team member of the Americas at that time and interviewed with them and I fell in love with everybody the whole team and I told Clorox I wasn't finishing the interview process and that I'm gonna go join this company zero and I took a big risk like I had no idea what I was getting myself into my first day they handed me a map mind you as an auditor I used a PC and Excel a lot they handed me a map he said here you go there's no training that's it that was it (laughs) you're onboarded yeah you're on board. Tell, tell me more about the culture. I think one of the most important things that changes, especially in tech startups and the second they start growing, tell me how the culture progressed at Zero from that first week, first month, first year to, I mean, you were at Zero for a few years. How did the culture mature and change and how did that really change really the passion of what you guys were all doing? I was there for almost seven years. And I was seventh employee in the US. In the beginning days, it was literally like family. We all were really close. I have some stories we probably shouldn't be sharing in a podcast. So, (laughs) but I mean, they hired me when I was four months pregnant. So they met my son when he was three weeks old, the whole team. And that closeness actually, I think, made it easier to collaborate and work together because there was trust there. And even when you didn't agree on things, you were able to have a healthy discussion and conversation. That lasted throughout my whole career at Zero. I actually missed those debates. It's okay to not always agree with other people. That's actually what you call diversity of thought and like to actually have that. So, but because we were so close knit, then we went through like this rapid growth phase in a sense of like instantaneous, we started hiring so many people. The struggle we had during that time was making feel people feel like outsiders, right? From mm-hmm. like this original group that was so close and like, how do you bring them together? So when we started, when we were in an incubator, so also close quarters, then we yeah. moved into our first office. And by the time we moved there, we outgrew it. So. We were developing payroll in the US and we outgrew that office so much that two doors down is where all our engineers and payroll team was. So we called that the payroll palace. So not only were we physically separated and rapidly growing, it's like, how do you keep these teams like cohesive? So there was like this struggling growth and then you're also bringing outside leaders in and then you still have the people that have been there a long time. So you have to kind of manage. I wasn't a leader at the time when this was happening, but yeah. like managing that, like leaders coming in and like these people that have been at zero forever. So that was one of like the struggles going in. Then we finally got an office that was big enough for everybody. And some of us kind of, and we also had people moving like to New, from New Zealand, Australia, being part of the US team. So there was also this struggle and culture of like little culture and like how different Americans work from overseas. But I think what kept this all together was the passion for the mission of zero. And if you didn't have that, you kind of exited out yourself. And I think I always had it, but it was when a marketing, one of our marketing folks took me on site to a dog treats place who used zero 
and I couldn't believe that this owner was so excited about using Xero because she got time back in her day is when I realized, wow, like whoever thought a product, a GL for all things, yeah, yeah, can make such an impact on a business owner. Yeah. So, but when we moved to that bigger office and finally got everyone in one room, something we did, like New Zealand and Australia both are very big to coffee. So we had a coffee machine, myself, a designer and an engineer would always have coffee upstairs and they would make me a coffee. They kind of got teased for it. They always <laughs> made me coffee every morning, but they would always say to me, oh, what do you sales and marketing people do anyways? But, yeah. and I realized like there's this misconception both from the engineering side to the sales side, sales side to the engineering side. But since I made friends with them, we would bring people into that kitchen to like talk to each other that normally wouldn't talk to each other because we were that big mm -hmm. already. The office mm -hmm. was big. So that's how we kind of kept people together and like get to people, like not have these silo departments. So yeah. like actually getting to know each other was a big way that we kept culture the same. And as I became a leader at zero and other early on people at zero became leaders, what we always tried to do is keep that within our teams. And as zero grew, it kind of was just infectious to others. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you can't, Yes, you need it top down too, but like mid-level managers actually made a big impact on keeping that startup culture as we continued to grow to be hundreds of employees. Sorry, yeah. that was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you hit a lot of good points. And one of the points that I want to kind of unravel a little bit is the passion of customers. Because who would ever think that someone would give a shit about an accounting software? right? From a personal perspective, right? A user is, it's accounting, it's boring as it is. And then you add technology on top of it. It's an accounting software, like who gives a shit? But in actuality, yeah. people give a shit, right? People actually give a shit. And I literally had a LinkedIn posting about this the other day. Being a founder is brutal. Like it sucks. Like there's a lot of like rose colored stuff that we can talk about. And being a founder is great. And da -da, it's fight through the hard days and blah. But in actuality, it sucks. Like there's very few days of being a founder that are like, holy cow, this is really awesome. But the one and only way that I've ever been able to get out of a bad day is to go and talk to a customer or close a new deal. Because it's not because yeah. of the revenue. And people are always like, oh, well, you're a founder. You just want to put up annual recurring revenue. That's all you care about, annual run rate. It's like, no, when you get to talk to someone, like just this morning, I had a meeting with a company. The guy created a trial by himself, signed up for clockwork. And I was like, and I shot him a quick note. And I was like, hey, happy to walk it through your account with you. And we got on the call and he's like, well, I needed to do this, 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 this. And I was like, dude, literally everything you said is perfect. And we got on and he's like, no way. He goes, how does this even work? And how is this even possible? And this is gonna save us so much time and da, da, da. And I'm like, dude, this is what is so exciting about all the stuff is you're solving a problem that people did not know could be yes. solved until you built your company. One of the big reasons why I joined Glean is exactly what you just said. It's not just about the revenue. It's about solving the problem for people that they did, you didn't think needed it. Rod built Zero because he was a serial entrepreneur and he wanted access to his books anytime, anywhere. So he built Zero. Mm -hmm. So when I first met Howard and he was telling me how he used the system and as a CFO, he was frustrated that he couldn't get analytics. And so he decided to build it. I was like, yes, because yeah. I hadn't worked for another founder like Rod since then, in a sense of building something that solved a problem, not only for himself, but for the masses of people like him.
So when I met Howard, I was like, here it is again. Someone building something that fixes his own problem that affects all others in the industry. And you are the same way too. Yeah. So like, I really admire founders that have built something that not just because they think, oh, this might be cool, but like, hey, this is a problem I had. I personally know about this problem. I'm going to build it because I know it's going to help so many others like me. And that's where I think like the passion comes from because yep. the personal pain along with it. But then if you can even find just a certain amount of key people within your company that get it, or you can teach people like why it's a pain and why it's important and they feel that passion, it makes an ultimate difference, especially I believe in like early days on how you grow. And a big part of that is talking to the customers. Like if you don't know that personal problem, mm -hmm. doing customer on-sites, customer calls and hearing whatever like pain you solve, the passion, whatever it is, the emotions that you get out of those customer calls can make such a difference to continue making you drive through all those difficult days. Yeah. Another thing that you said earlier was people kind of filter themselves out. And one of the things that I've yeah. learned is you cannot train passion. You can train all the other lessons. You can train the sales process, the discovery process, the sales cycle, the product, the this. You can't train passion. And I think one of my biggest learnings, last year was our first full year in market and raised our first VC round and hired a bunch of people. The only thing that I needed, I kept trying to like get people to be bought in on the customer, right? I know that they were bought in on clockwork. It's a sexy VC backed startup. That's why people were showing up and signing and coming to work for us. But the second that I would hear them talk to a customer, I knew immediately if it was going to work out or not. And if I hear them talk to a customer and it wasn't like bright magic stars every single time they're answering a question and getting excited to talk to them, they were literally filtering themselves out in a matter of month, two months, three months. And that's something that people are too scared to talk about because everyone wants to sit there and talk about companies are a family and we're unicorns and rainbows and this and all. I think all that's bullshit. If you don't have the passion for your customer and you don't have that on every call that you're on, there's no days off. I literally tell my team, we have to always be on. And it's not, we have to always be on from a time perspective. I don't expect you to be responding to emails at 10 p.m. at night or, or anything. You have to always be on from the time that you're speaking to customers. You have to be on it. You have to be on top of your game. You have to always be on the clockwork standard. And a lot of people filter themselves out because they get intimidated by that. They don't know how to keep up with it and they just get crushed by the moment. So let me ask you this. When you interview people for clockwork, sorry, I'm flipping the tables on you. When you're yeah. interviewing people, for clockwork, how do you test for passion? How do you identify passion? One of, one of my questions is what is your why? Why are you going to come and work at a startup? During interviews, I am ultra transparent and honest about how much this job sucks a lot, right? It is the most difficult job for a lot of people. And if you don't understand it, it's 10 times more difficult than you even thought working at a startup, especially a seed stage series A startup. It's literally a thousand times more difficult than you think if you've never done it before. And so I always ask them, what is your why? Like, what are you fighting for? What are you waking up on those hard days and still putting the laptop on and getting to work with the same level of vigor? And if they don't have a good why, 
immediately I know that that passion of fighting through those bad days is wrong. And you can very easily tell if someone's bullshitting their why. Yes. I like to call those glossy answers. Like when I interview people, I'll classify them as glossy. Like you just told me everything you think I want to hear, but that is not what I want. If I don't get your authentic self in an interview, that's a yellow flag and you can tell. But I also like to ask certain questions like, which I hear a lot, like it trumps people. If you could have any job and you had no economic considerations, what would it be and why? Because I like to ask questions in different aspects to see if the answers they give me actually correlate to see if they have consistency. So one, if someone tells me a job, their ideal job and like character underlining characteristics of that job has nothing to do with the role that they want. Mm -hmm. That tells me one, are you even going to be really passionate about this role? Because everything you're telling me your ideal job would be does not line up. Yeah. And if they tell me it's the role they're going for, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is already like, yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing to that is consistency of genuine answers. We had a couple salespeople and when we would answer them, ask them questions, Hey, what's your sa- What's your sales process? What's your strategy? How are you going to go out and get leads? How are you going to close the business? How are you going to move people through the funnel, the sales funnel? And their answer is always the exact same. Like we have a f- process of three, maybe four interviews. And in every single conversation, their answer is exactly to the T the same. And for me, I was always like, oh, that's great. You know what? Now, if someone gives me the same answer the four different times, the exact same way, you've rehearsed it, you're full of shit. I'm not going to listen to you anymore because nine times out of 10, you're wrong. And every time that I've hired people that have done that, they're out within a month, within two months, because they simply just can't do it. Yeah, they're rehearsed. And you're not like we went back saying, you're not getting your their authentic self. Yeah. And it's. I think that's the hard part. I will say like when I have hired people, I do feel at times like I sense people have, some people are generally born with a passionate personality. And I will say, and I'm thinking of like these people in my mind, all of them have become successful. Like I do think if like you innately are a passionate person and you get paired in the right position and have the right leader with you, you are just going to excel. And that's the thing. I think that's the secret. Yeah. And that's, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's the thing is you have to be paired with the right people. Even if you are an individual contributor, you still need to use a product that someone else built. You still need to use the marketing material and the voice that someone else has told you about. You still need to know the story Mm -hmm. that someone else wrote and made. And not everyone works well with everyone else. And it's very important to actually know that you're going to work in the system that you get put in. I think that's often a super overlooked thing when you're trying to build out a team is like, great, you may work well, or maybe your interview, especially with sales and marketing people. I mean, your job is to sell. So you're probably pretty good at selling yourself at the very least, right? You can get an interview and do well in it to get the job. But if you get put into a system that you don't understand, it's like sports, right? I don't care if you're Tom Brady. If you're the best athlete in your sport and you get put into a system that you can't play with and you don't fit in right, it's never going to work. Not only is it not, it's actually going to be 10 times worse than it ever could be for a normal person in that role. Yeah, such a great analogy, though. Because it doesn't matter how good you are. That's why recruiters are important. Whether you're a recruiter for a sports team 
-hmm. or you're a recruiter for a company, how, and as a leader, if you're the final person that's interviewing, are you building a team that they don't need to be all the same, but can they complement each other? Yeah. Are people going to get along to be able to reach the ultimate goal? And as an individual contributor, I'll tell you one story when I was at EY, because again, like earn, when you go into the big four, my biggest complaint about the big four culture, and when I look back at it now, is the lack of training to find leaders or to make leaders. You go in, you're 22, and it's like, in two years, you have to lead a team. But no yeah. one taught you to actually how to lead a team or coach people. And now mm -hmm. you have these new 22-year-olds coming in, and your career is in the hands of a 25-year-old. Like, yeah. Yeah. And my very first experience with a senior who was very known to be very intelligent, such an amazing individual contributor, and he was very intelligent, but he couldn't coach. Yeah. And he gave me, I was supposed to audit fixed assets. He gave me an invoice and I must have had a confused look on my face because I was holding the invoice, confused look on the face, imagine it. Then he grabbed the invoice back and said, forget it. It'll take you 20, it'll take me five. I was unassigned for weeks because <laughs> it gave me a bad reputation. And luckily, luckily I had tenacity and I was going to every manager asking for a job. Someone finally gave me a chance only because they were desperate because it was an IPO and I didn't know mm. it was an IPO. But I had a senior manager on that job that actually coached me, answered all my questions, walked me through what I need to do for a comfort letter. I did a status call with the VP of finance every night. And I remember when she told me, don't tell him you're not a senior because he thinks you are. <laughs> That was a staff one. <laughs> so like that makes a big difference yeah. back to the teamwork. And like, I didn't fit in with that original team I had. Yeah. The manager that gave me that chance, I realized I worked well with him. So mm -hmm. I found a way to get all his engagements. And I yeah. remember when I was a senior too, he goes, you have a lot of my engagements. I was like, oh yeah, you think that was by accident? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That's on purpose. Find your people, find your people and yeah. you'll do good. <laughs> and stick with them. And that's I mean, the that's lesson. And that's why whenever you hire a good VP at a company, they're bringing three or four people that are their people. From whatever company those other three or four people are at, they may be at the same company that that person is coming from. But when you hire a good VP, if they're not automatically bringing people with them, don't hire them. They're a shit VP because no one wants to follow them. Hey, look, I got people waiting. I'm waiting for that day. Uh, trust I could me. be like, you ready? Trust me, trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's that point of like, you have to have people that are willing to follow you through what they don't understand, but they trust that you understand and they trust that you see it. And that really is the true testament to being a leader. It's how effective are you leading specific people and how can you get them to do stuff that they never even thought that they could do? The stuff that the Clockwork team members are doing now, like, they would never in their wildest dreams or they have ever even had the opportunity to do what they're doing, but they do it. And now, I mean, forget about it. You think I'm passionate about clockwork. Talk to any clockwork team member that exists right now. They are all, they yeah. live and breathe clockwork. And that's amazing. It is. It is. To build that type of team is yeah. what keeps things pushing along, right? Yeah. So I guess we could talk about passion forever. And I think like I know, right? those leaders though, they, they empower the people that work for them, work around them. I'll never forget, I'm gonna do a shout out to Greg Volm when I worked at Zero because I was always on the consulting side. Like we did pre post sales, all technical. And speaking of um, big four people going to tech companies, I purposely plucked from the big four. Yeah. Cause I knew 
the skill sets that they had and if they had the innate personality to like talk to clients and customers. And that's the other misconception, sorry, I keep going on 10. That's another misconception about big four. You can't make partner if you're not good with clients. That's how you get also weeded out. Yeah. Like you have to yeah. have good client relationships. If you have that innate ability to talk to clients, they can transition into like a sales consulting role. Yeah. So I plucked people from big four to do that. And people were always trying to get me into like sales sales when I was at zero. Greg Vaughn, I remember a meeting one day and we were going through pipeline with like senior account managers and I was still on the consulting side. I led the consulting team, but I had to take on the work and beforehand. And I remember asking these account managers, senior account managers throughout the day questions. And at the end of the day, he said to me, you're going to make a great sales leader one day. And I said, what? And he's like, you ask really good questions yeah. <laughs> like to get them to talk about like their pipeline and where things mm -hmm. and to strategize to a solution to close. Yeah. I absolutely and like that. that those type of comments is like what empowers you. What he saw was potential in me that I didn't see in myself mm -hmm. without just saying you should work over here. And the right? key is, so, but you knew what to do with that, right? Who gives a shit about a good leader? If the person that the leader is trying to lead, doesn't know what to do with what's being given to them, it's wasted because you could have had a shitty attitude and been like, well, if you think I'm not good at my role right now, then why would you put me in for like something else that I'm not supposed to be doing that? I've seen so many toxic, negative people when you're like, hey, I think you would be better in this role. They take it like you're shitting on them, negative, blah, 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 and then they start spiraling and then they're out. It was you who took that good advice, that good coaching and actually did something with it and took it positively and moved it forward. And that's the difference, right? Leaders can only do so much, but it's the individual who has to take it and make something of it. That is 100% true. So like as a leader, one thing I do, especially when I first meet, like when first people get on the team, when I do ask them like, what are your professional aspirations? And if they tell me they want to get to a certain place or to be a leader or whatever it may be, I literally ask for permission to push them to get them there. Yeah. And I ask for permission because I tell them it's not going to be always comfortable. And there yeah, are going to yeah. be days that you don't like me Yeah. because with growth comes pain. Yeah. But if I ask you permission, just know, and you say yes, just know when you go through those uncomfortable moments and the days you don't like me, it's because I care and I'm trying to push you to where you told me you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I'd say like 95%, 90% of the time, it's worked out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, it's got to work out just a couple times. No, I absolutely love that. And I cannot believe we're already at 30 minute mark. I think oh that... <laughs> Yeah, we can definitely talk for hours and hours. We'll definitely have you back on. This was so awesome. Thank you so much, Eileen, for joining. And where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? Where can they check out Glean? Yeah, so glean.ai, if you want to check out Glean, we're an intelligent AP platform. Work with accounting firms as well as direct businesses. You can find me on LinkedIn very easily. Look up Eileen Dow, pretty easy to find. Or shoot me an email at eileen at gleancompany.com. And Phoebe... Nice. So much fun to have this chat yeah. with you today. Yeah, no, absolutely love it. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the Real Slim Fady show once again, and we will catch you next time.